I will already predict what's going to happen before we leave. By the time we leave, you guys will all be going, hey, hey, there's Becca. And um, what is his name? All right. Some of you have already tasted a little bit about, of that and know what I'm talking about. Let's pray, shall we? God of heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that in it, we know you. From it, we know ourselves better than we could know ourselves without it. We find Jesus there and hope. And even, Lord, when it's a difficult passage, when it brings conviction, yet we have hope in the fact that by God's grace in Jesus, we can strive to obey and find satisfaction. Help us now as we consider your word. Help us, Lord, to find hope in it, help and conviction, encouragement. Whatever you would have for us, Lord, we pray that you would work so that we would find joy in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Things right now are looking a little bit tough. It seems like inflation is just crazy, right? I mean, man, we go to the store and we say, wow, I didn't pay that much for ketchup before, which is what we just said the other day, getting a bottle of ketchup. And life seems harder and lean times seem to be on us and it seems a bit unsettling. But why is all that happening? Well, is it because of the prices up because oil companies are too greedy? Is it because of the ridiculous short-sighted Congress who have, who have um, passed silly policies that increase our inflation? Maybe it's just the nature of the market. But there's still one explanation that most people don't think of. Maybe the oil prices are high and inflation is what it is because of God. Maybe God's trying to get our attention. And some might respond, oh yeah, right, that's the easy answer. Always God. Yeah. That's exactly the answer that a prophet gave 2,543 years ago when the economy started tightening up. Of course, it's Haggai, and he appeared on the scene to tell God's people why the reason they had experienced a downturn in their economic fortunes is because God was behind it all, and God was telling them something they needed to hear. So as we turn to the book of Haggai, let's see what that ancient prophet has to say, because God intended him to speak to us in the 21st century in our difficult economic times. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 is our text for today. In the second year of King Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. 
You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Now, remember from last week that these people had a problem. They'd become spiritually careless. They weren't blatantly rebellious. They'd become spiritually careless. They had drifted, if you will, into apathy. You remember, as we saw last week, that they had returned to build the temple. They built the altar. They laid the foundation. Opposition arose, and so they gave up on building the temple. And so they went on with life. And so they built their houses. They paneled their houses. They did all these things. Now, it wasn't that God was saying, build my temple, you knuckleheads, because I need to be glorified. It was that the temple, you remember as we saw last week, the temple was where God's presence and grace was manifested. And by becoming careless and going after their own houses rather than the house of God, they essentially were saying that God's presence and grace is not that important to us. These other things are more important, more than the presence and the grace of God. They were not interested in that treasure They were not interested in the treasure of God's presence. They had given their time and their affections to things of little value. They were not pursuing the greatest treasure of all, and that is God. That's what the building of the temple was all about. It showed their attitude. Instead of being treasure hunters for God, they were treasure hunters for other things, other things of less value. And so Haggai appeared as God's motivation to move them to seek this great treasure of God's presence. And so the prophet's message comes down through the centuries asking you, how can you become real treasure hunters? How can you become real treasure hunters? How can you seek God? How can you seek the presence and the grace of God? Well, let's look at our text today. The first thing God tells you is face your failures. Face your failures. If you're going to be a real treasure hunter, then face your failures. And he says that in verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. He says, well, let's start in 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this prophecy, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? There it is. Face your failures. First thing, face up to your excuses. The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. They heard the message, and they even agreed with Haggai. They even agreed with him that the temple needed to be built. But they were saying what? It's just not the right time. It's not the opportune time. The, the, The problem they're saying is the opportune time had not yet arrived. 
Now, when they said the time has not yet come, they did not mean we agreed to start on September 11th and it's only August 29th. That's not what they were saying. What they meant was it's not the right moment. The circumstances are just not to the point where we can do this yet. What was the problem? Well, they, were, they were earning money, but it's like putting in bags with a hole in it, right? Um, they were planting their crops, but it just didn't seem to give enough. The time's just not right. The problem is there's no suitable time for those who are uninterested. The problem is not lack of opportunity. The problem was taking an opportunity to obey, you see. And if you face your failures, then you have to quit making excuses for the failure. It's not yet time. And he says, stop with the excuses. Stop with the excuses. And facing your failure means that you quit pursuing the wrong treasure. The time had not yet come to build the Lord's house, but the time had come to live in paneled houses. The time had come to live in paneled houses. The time obviously was not right because they had been pursuing the wrong treasure. Now certainly, shelter, food and drink, and an income are legitimate pursuits. The problem is, they had plenty of time and money to spend on their own comfort, right? They had time and money to spend on their own comfort. They were paneling their houses. They were doing what they wanted to do, while at the same time claiming that it was not the right time to build the Lord's temple. They didn't have enough for God's service. All right, turn back to 1 Kings for a moment. Compare this to Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 6. First Kings chapter 6. We'll just hop and skip and jump and, and jump on some verses here. Um, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 9. Um, here it's talking about the temple. This is Solomon now. So Solomon built the house, that is the temple, and finished it, and he made the ceiling of the house of beams and planks of cedar. Jump over to the next chapter, chapter 7. Chapter 7, first of all, verse 3. Um, it's talking here about his house. It's called the house of the forest of Lebanon. It's his house, uh, the palace. And it was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. This is a magnificent palace, verse 7. And he made the hall of the throne where he was to pronounce judgment, even the hall of judgment. It was finished with cedar from floor to rafters. Here, here you see the paneling going on, the paneling of the temple and the paneling of the palace uh, where he lived and reigned. Here's the deal. They were affluent enough. In Haggai's day, they were affluent enough to panel their houses just as Solomon in his day had paneled the palace and the temple. Here's the thing to remember. Here's something to always think about. Yesterday's luxury becomes today's necessity. Yesterday's luxury becomes today's necessities. So there was luxury in Solomon's day, and they knew about it. But now, the luxury of all that, they had to have that. And they had to have it for themselves before they sought God.
God at the temple. There are far more important things to do. The temple can wait. You know, what do we say? When we get the right living conditions and the economy rebounds and we negotiate a, a, a good wage and we get a decent standard of living, then we'll have the opportunity to do what God calls us to do. We look for outside circumstances to be propitious for us before we turn to God. We do that too often. Right? Some say, well, we don't have that problem. You know, I might even ask, aren't you glad we don't have that problem, right? Aren't you glad we don't have that problem? Well, I don't know. I'll be able to, and these are just things that, that I've heard over the years. I'll be able to come to church more consistently, but I need the money now, and i got to take all the overtime I can get. It's not yet time. I just cannot give to the Lord's work like I should. I mean, we're all feeling the economic pinch, right? It's not yet time. Consider this. Do you know how long it takes a missionary to get on the field? Three to five years. Three to five years of raising support to get on the field. And we might look at oil prices and inflation, but we'd be looking in the wrong place. Like the people of long ago, we claim that the time's just not opportune. But it's interesting. Our standard of living, our houses, our cars, our vacations don't seem to have been affected too much by those things. I mean, let's be honest about that. Yesterday's luxuries become today's necessities. It's not yet time, we say. It's not yet time. And I think about this with missionaries. I have to be honest with you. My brother was a missionary in Asia. Um, He was an attorney for many years, and then he went to Asia as a missionary, and it really opened his eyes. He came back and said, you're in Asia for a while, and you come back, and, and you can't raise support. And I look around, and I see people with pools and massive televisions and everything else, but it's, we, just can't, you know, we just can't give for missions. It's not yet time. Some people say, I work so hard during the week, I'm just exhausted on Sunday. It's just not yet time, Right? So if we're going to be treasure hunters, the right kind, we need to face our failures. We need to quit making excuses. We need to face our failures and and stop making excuses and become treasure hunters that will seek the presence of God, that will seek him out in ways that we haven't before. Now, if you'd pursue the presence and grace of God, then God says to us, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Look at verses 5 through 8. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood. And build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So God says, consider your ways. Consider your self-seeking ways first. This is what he says in verses 5 and 6. Consider your self-seeking ways first. We have to recognize, first of all, when you look at this, we have to recognize that these were not people on the edge of poverty. Right? They were not on the edge of poverty. They had enough resources to panel their houses. 
They had seed to sow, food to eat, wine to drink, clothes, and gainful employment. They were not hungry, thirsty, or naked, but they had fallen short of what they wanted. Again, it's much like today. Things are tougher, right? It is tougher. Let's face it. It is. Not denying that. But we're still doing relatively well, right? We're still doing relatively well. The problem was this. They had goods, but the good life eluded them, right? They had goods, but the good life eluded them. They experienced no true satisfaction in their lives, What they had was never quite enough. The crops were okay, but not what they anticipated. The food and drink were all right, but not quite enough. The money was good, but it seemed to go too fast. It just seemed to go too fast. The situation they really wanted was always just out of reach. It was always just out of reach. So God says, consider your ways. You're always working, but never getting ahead, never quite achieving satisfaction. You work through lunch. You stay late. You get all the overtime you want. You're dissatisfied in the midst of abundance. More cars, more furniture, more houses, more televisions, more food, more games, more vacations. And yet we are wretchedly unsatisfied. Right? We're just not satisfied. God says this. Consider your ways. Are you unsatisfied? Are you disappointed? Do you find yourself always wanting more? Well, then he says, now notice in verses 7 and 8, consider the satisfaction of seeking God. Again, God says, think about this now. Start on the temple now. Get to work now. Don't wait. Here's what he says. This is fascinating to me. Rather than seeking your pleasure, seek my pleasure. Honor me. Now, inevitably, and I know some of you are thinking this right now, inevitably it comes up. So does that mean God's selfish? Right? Honor me. Stop with all your stuff and start building my temple. Honor me. Give me pleasure. Doesn't that sound selfish? The problem is, the problem, or, or the, the good news is this. When you seek God, you will have more satisfaction than you know what to do with. You will be satisfied. Seek to do whatever gives God pleasure. Do that. What gives, if you seek to give what God, what, what gives pleasure to God, you will be satisfied. Now, I can tell you this, and I'm not just telling you this because my wife is here, but I can say that one of the greatest pleasures in life for me is when my wife is happy, when she finds pleasure, okay? Now, I can find satisfaction in doing the plumbing, and I hate plumbing. My brother-in-law once said, you start at the kitchen sink and you always end up at the street. You ever notice that about plumbing problems? And I'm really bad at it. I mean, I'm bad at most things. We have a saying around our house. What takes you five minutes to do, I can do in two hours. Okay, so I am really bad. And the the worst of the worst is plumbing. But if my wife is happy 
when I do my best, right, to, to, to put in that trap, right, then I'm happy. I mean, then I feel something, there's just something that's satisfying about that. And for them, it meant building the temple so God was honored in that nation and honored in the nations around them, that they would see that this is the true God and they would find satisfaction if they would get busy and build the temple. They would find great satisfaction. Obedience to God over seeking their own comfort would produce greater pleasure and satisfaction. And isn't that what Jesus told us? Isn't that what Jesus told us? So where do you start? Where do you start in this thing? Where do we start? I mean, you know, there's no foundation laying around that we need to build on, right? There's not a temple that we need to build. We are the temple, as a matter of fact. So where do we start? Well, a, a bunch of things come to my mind. Here's, here's just a couple things that jump into my mind. Um, John 15. John 15. John 15, I want you to look at this with me. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How does that come? It comes for following Jesus, becoming obedient to him. Then you will find satisfaction. You will find joy. His joy will be made complete in you. You know, folks, I go to this text all the time in my counseling ministry as a pastor. I go to this text all the time. I'm dealing, here's someone who's got a very difficult marriage, and it's hard, right? It's hard, and, and I can't guarantee. I can't guarantee that, that um, we'll be able to fix this, so it'll be You'll have a nice, happy life together. But I can say to each of the people in that couple, listen, if you choose to obey Jesus, no matter what your spouse does, no matter what your spouse does, if you determine to follow Jesus faithfully in this difficulty, guess what? You'll have joy. Jesus guarantees it. You seek to obey Jesus. doesn't matter what your spouse is doing right now. You seek to follow Jesus. Here's another one. I, I think of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Um, all right. Verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Okay? Here's what Jesus says. You're going to be my disciple. Here's what you do. You deny yourself. Not, not deny things to yourself. You deny yourself. You give up all your allegiance to self. And all your allegiance goes to Jesus. You deny yourself. Take up your cross. Now, real quickly... Taking up your cross does not mean bearing a burden, which is what we mean when we say that term. Taking up the cross meant, right? When someone took up his cross, he was marching outside of town with a group 
of Roman soldiers around him, a squad, while he carried his cross. What did carry your cross mean? It means you are going to die. To take up your cross means you're going to crucify yourself. You're going to kill everything that you think is important and everything you want to do to do what Jesus tells you to do. You, do you get the picture here? You're going, to cru- you're going to deny yourself, you're going to crucify yourself, and then you're going to follow Jesus. Well, that sounds, wow, sign me up. Well, look at what he says then in verse 24. Um, For whoever would save his life will lose it. Well, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, you'll have a better life. You will have a better life. What does John 10.10 say? Jesus says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have abundant life. Okay, Jesus, didn't you just say that people are going to hate me if I follow you? Yep. And Jesus, didn't you say that, that i got to deny myself and crucify myself and follow you? That's what I said. And you're telling me that's the abundant life? And the answer is yes. It's better than ever you could think of. It's better than pursuing the treasures of this world. It's better than pursuing any treasure of this world. Seeking God in Christ. Listen to Jesus. God takes pleasure in our obedience to Christ. What did he say? Here is the son that I love. Listen to him. Right? And how do we do that? We come to him in humility. And we come to him and say, the treasures of this world mean nothing to me. I want you. I humble myself. I'm deserving of nothing but judgment. But because of you, I'm going to trust in you to save me from that judgment. I deny all else in order to have you. I'd rather have you than anything else. That's all I want. And then we follow him and obey him and trust him. And God is honored. And our life is better. There's satisfaction. How does that happen? How do we continue in that? We do that through consistent worship. We do that by reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures. When we determine to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost. In all of that, God will find pleasure and he will be honored. And you will be satisfied. That's the point. You see, that's what Haggai is saying. Do what gives God pleasure. You have all this stuff, but you're never satisfied. You're, you're planting. It's never enough. The money is never enough. It's, it's like you just can't get what you want. Then he says, build the temple. Build the temple. You want that treasure. So go for it. So if you really want the delight of God's presence and his grace, then consider your ways, right? Consider your present ways of self-satisfaction. Is it really satisfying? Consider the promise of God. Honoring and pleasing him brings greater satisfaction. Now here's the last thing. If you want to be a real treasure hunter, then recognize God's gracious discipline. Recognize God's gracious discipline. Verses 9 through 11. The last verse is here. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called... And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Recognize God's gracious 
discipline. Part of the reason for their dissatisfaction was the returns on their labor did not meet their expectations. It was hard. It was hard. We planted the seed. We should have gotten more crops. We earned the money, and where did it go? It seemed to go into a bag with holes in it, right? Why was that happening? What did God say? Because the temple was in ruins. They wanted their comforts over God. And he says to them, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth its crops. It was God who called for the scarcity. It was God who withheld his blessings that they did not sense fulfillment. And listen, that was nothing less than God's loving hand of discipline. God's loving hand of discipline. Now, we tend to think of the economic conditions and the gas prices and the inflation as a result of impersonal economic forces and national policy. But Haggai gives us another view. He says God is the one who controls those things, and he controls them oftentimes for the purpose of disciplining his people. And maybe the inflation and all the stuff that's going on is God just saying to us, Okay, all right, what's really important to you? What's really important to you? Are you seeking your pleasure above pleasing God, above seeking God, above really wanting God? Could it be that we've been saying the time has not yet come and God says to us, you have no excuse, really? You have no excuse. Could it be that God wants us to see Christ? You know what an incredible statement of the Apostle Paul is the one that he said, is the statement that he makes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul says that I may know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so that I may attain to the resurrection. It's like, and you know, as I was thinking about this this week, and as in fact, as we were, Beck and I were traveling over here, that particularly struck me. Do I want a comfortable life more than knowing the sufferings of Jesus? Boy, that's kind of a no-brainer. I'd rather have comfort any day than the sufferings of Jesus, right? But the sufferings of Jesus are better than the comforts of this life. The treasures of that are better than the treasures of this life. I just read this passage and I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, maybe God's disciplining hand has fallen on his people so that we are asking those kinds of questions. Which kind of satisfaction do we want? The satisfaction of God and, and, and his grace as we go through the things that we go through? Or do we just want a comfortable life, right? Well, the next time you pull up to the gas pump, do this. The next time you pull up to the gas pump, think about the treasure of God's person. Let the gas pump remind you of the greater treasure of God, right? 
God's behind this, and maybe he's saying to us, I don't think maybe, I think he is saying to us, hey, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But are you going to use that as a, as a reminder to seek me, right? It's not yet time, we want to say. We can't serve you like we ought to because, well, the situation's just really difficult. No. God says, look, face up to your failures, okay? Face up. If you want to be a treasure hunter, if you really want to treasure God, then say, all right, I can't, I got to quit making excuses. And consider your ways. Start thinking, well, what, what have I been pursuing? Right? What have I been pursuing? And there's more satisfaction in God. Right? Remember, God's disciplining hand comes from a, a heart of love. God doesn't bring hard things into our life, like inflation and gas prices and all those sorts of things. He doesn't bring those into our lives. We have an excuse to complain. It comes from a heart that's loving. And what he wants to do through that is you try just to drive you to him. All right? Think of his grace. Think of what he's given you in Christ. Think of those things. Think how the joy would be complete as you seek obedience to Jesus. We don't have to wait for the next fill-up, although that might help. We just need to say, God, I want your presence. I want your grace. And I'm going to seek that above all else. May God help us to do that. Father, thank you again for a word that is clear, for a word that speaks to us where we live. Help us. Not just to hear your message, but to just start thinking, to consider our own ways. Help us to just start doing that today, to consider our ways and to not make excuses and just commit to knowing the satisfaction of seeking you. Help us, Lord, to that end, that your glory may be manifested and your good to us may be clear. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.